0: Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Glad to have you, yeah, you, joining me from anywhere and everywhere around planet Earth. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor. Make sense out of the senseless. If at all possible, find the obvious, bear to the absurd. Hold on to your lug nuts, because it's time for an overall. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad to have you back one more time here on this Saturday morning offering. Uh, I don't know when you're listening to it. A lot of people listen the very same day that I put this out, so it's a Saturday thing for them as well. But because of the way technology is, these things live on forever. So this has got to be coming up on, so it's just past year five, I should say, for this particular iteration of the work that I do behind a microphone. And um, five years. So first and foremost, to all of you who have been subscribers on and off, mostly the ones that are still on, uh, since I started this little experiment in audio expertise and expression, thank you so much. Uh, I got to tell you, you know, this is um, it's a tough business. You know, radio itself is a very tough business because there's only so many slots, there's only so many outlets, and really, I've learned over the years whether you're good or not really doesn't matter. It's not like playing baseball, right? Like you don't just get a contract in baseball and if you suck eventually you're gone uh after a period of time in radio you could suck for years as long as enough people are listening and suck being you know uh, obviously a subjective thing because uh, there's people i'm like who is listening to this but that's me and on the inside of the business i think to myself there's probably five people i know that are in my chair and i'll tell you why i'm a little bit worked up around this but again thanks to the uh to the subscribers who've been with me all this time and the ones that have come on board. And those of you who are listening that have subscribed in the past and are still listening today, thanks so much. It, it just heartens me uh, that there's value in what I'm doing, that getting up really early, which is what I do every day anyway, but especially on Saturday morning, to try and pass along something that has value in a sea of information uh, is, is meaningful to me. So thanks for doing that, and I really deeply appreciate it. This past Thursday... I had the opportunity to sit in live on radio in Chicago, which I have not done for at least three, if not four years. So getting in this microphone situation here that I have on Saturday mornings, total control here. It's not live. Got to call it what it is. It's, It's live to tape, as we would say, and there's not even any tape left. So it's live to digital. And so I'll have done this show. You'll hear the best version of it. I can do clean up some things here and there and add a couple opens and closes and stuff. But for the most part, you know, I'm working with a serious net underneath me because it's all uh, produced. Live radio is not that way. And even though I have done, <laughs> I, I could stop counting, you know, what's the point? Thousands of shows over the years since I first got behind a microphone in August of 1997. Uh, it is um, something you have to work at. It's like going to the gym But on the other hand, it's also like riding a bike. So even though I have not been live for a few years, it never leaves me. And they had the opportunity as I mentioned this past week to sit on WCPT. Now Matt Cummings is a guy that I worked with at Oprah Radio back in the day. And I call him Sparky, because he's one of these i mean technically adept guys. And I learned a lot about him the other day. I've known the man 15 years. And I realized through our conversation that he is far more of a technical guy far more, I should say, of a production guy than a technical guy. He learned the tech stuff because he's got the aptitude for it, but he came out of production and being a producer and an executive producer for sports talk radio. So the guy, you know, obviously knows what he's doing. I have a lot of respect for Matt. Uh, and so when he called or sent an email, to be more specific, I said, absolutely, I'm in. Trying to figure out when I did it last. might have been the election cycle in 2020. There was a long overnight, sl- you know, they needed somebody to sit in. I'm like, I'll do it. You know, I mean, I'm not beyond doing any of these things at this point. And while I make no bones about the fact that, in my opinion, politics is, you know, for the most part, just, you know, mouth candy at this point. There's no real change comes out of talking about it. It is a huge swath of uh, the radio business. And I have turned down numerous opportunities disguised as liabilities, in my opinion, to talk about politics on either side of of the aisle. I've had people think I'm the most conservative uh, host they've ever heard. And then I have people listen to the exact same things I've said and think I'm the most liberal host, which means I'm kind of in the middle where most people live. But the middle is not where the money's at. So if I'd have gone totally left, which I probably could pull off if I faked it long enough, uh, I could have made a pretty good living over there. If I've gone totally right, which I could fake it and pull it off, I'd make a really, really good living over there. But I don't know that I'd sleep well. And it's one thing to eat well, but it's another thing to sleep well. So sleeping well to me at this point in my life has been like the thing I fall back on. Can I live with myself if I just bullshit enough to get a paycheck? No, I can't. And that's on me. But uh, I know a lot of people in the radio business that basically make it up. There's some sort of kind of a, a, a personality they have to put on in order to be that person on the radio. And then when they get off, they're 180, in the opposite direction. I just don't have that gear. So I have to just be true to myself, as they say. And sometimes that has worked really, really well for me. I think the best uh, connection I had back in the day was with Oprah Radio because it was really right down the middle of trying to find out why people do what they do, learning about your own behavior, trying to improve upon that, and not waste time while you're alive. I mean, those things are vitally more important to me than how you friggin' vote. And, and when I listen to talk radio, especially driving in last Thursday, listening to some of the people on the air. Uh, it is a sport to get out and argue about politics. It doesn't change a thing. It doesn't change anybody's mind. It doesn't change the course of the country. It's just meat-mouthing, as we used to call it back in the service. But that's where the cash is. I'm actually going to be sitting in next Thursday as well. And I was telling my producer, Alex, who looks just like Johnny Depp, it was kind of creepy actually, but in a good way. I'm thinking, how did they get freaking Johnny Depp to be a producer at a Chicago radio station? Uh, But he's a great kid. And we went back and forth on that a little bit. And I told him, I said, well, maybe next time I sit in, and there will be a next time, that I'll just open the phones for a half hour and argue with people. Because that's what everybody wants to hear. Let's argue and see who's right. This tug of war, this arm wrestling back and forth doesn't change a thing. It's, it literally is tug of war. And I always tell people, you know who really wins the tug of war? I mean, if you want to be right, then you just keep pulling. But if you want to just be happy, you just let go of the friggin' rope and, or don't even pick it up. There's no point in it. And as I get towards the point, and I am already at that point, I should say, where I have more yesterdays than tomorrows, I just don't have time to do the tug of war thing. I just, it just makes absolutely zero sense to me. When you go through enough shit in life, you start thinking, do I really want to argue with people I don't know over stuff I can't control? No, I don't. But there are people that love doing that stuff, and I just it's just really difficult for me. But that's not to say that I couldn't hold my own in that position. So I think I might just do that. Say, look, it's its the argument clinic. If you're a fan of Monty Python like I am, they're one of the great bits of all time is the argument clinic where a guy pays to go in and argue with somebody else. It was a very cool... Uh, I think, metaphor for a lot of what goes on in the world. So we'll see if I do that next week. But it was great to sit in. I forgot how fast three hours go. Now, it's not three straight hours, obviously, because you got commercial breaks and news at the top and the bottom of the hour. And it goes quick. And I had some great guests on. Uh, at Candace Jordan, whose podcast that I produced for her, she was on talking about all things Chicago-centric and how she came from Little Dupo, Illinois to become one of the most widely read uh, columnist in Chicago. She's now at Crane Chicago Business, which is a huge uh, feather in her cap. I talked with uh, a guy that I cannot wait to see on September 30th, uh, Blazin' Bill Stipek, AKA The Penguin, who I served with back at the Coast Guard Air Station Chicago in the 80s. And Bill is now an advocate for veterans as it pertains to dealing with the VA. And we had a fantastic conversation. The phone lines are off the hook. Uh, from all the veterans in the audience and the families of veterans. See, this is what I'm talking about. If I would have spent that half hour with Bill just beating up on Trump or beating up on Biden, everybody would call and we'd just argue. But that 30 minutes with Bill, people were calling and saying, here's my experience with the VA. One guy called in and he went on to praise the VA how the last three years of his dad's life, they were there for every single need. You don't ever hear that in the news. And my own experiences with the VA are similar. You know, I mean, I don't have a lot to do over there because I do the best I can to keep the machine going in a good direction, but all my experiences with the VA have been fantastic. When do you hear about the Veterans Administration? When shit hits the fan. That's what the news is. The news is a constant stream of shit hitting the fan and splaying out to the world going, oh my God, look, another horrible thing's happened. It is the worst of human behavior on display until we get to the very last story goes, here's your hero person of the day. We're going to leave you with two minutes of feeling good. What if it was the opposite? What if it was 28 minutes of really good things being shown and then two minutes at the end of, oh, by the way, this shit hit the fan? I wonder how different we would feel. Hmm. So Bill was on. We had that conversation. And then I, I am fascinated by cicadas. Now, I know a lot of you probably aren't bug people, but I had to find out what the deal is with these little beasties. matter of fact, I have two cicada carcasses not four feet away from me. And I'll tell you why I do that. Frickin' frack! I named them. They are in perfect shape because when they die, they just kind of dry out. So four or five years ago, the cicadas were doing their thing like they do every summer here in Chicago. It gets so loud at night. It's like this is just, it's like a symphony to me. A lot of people would rather not deal with that, but for to me, it's like these are bugs that have been on the earth for 400 million years. Let them do their thing. They're a great food source. I mean, that's basically all they are is a food source. They live underground for 13 to 17 years. They come out. They go flying around. They're looking to have the sex. They sing to each other. They have the sex and then they die. And if they're lucky, or I should say if something's lucky to eat them before they have the sex and die, then they're this incredible protein source. I had this guy on from the Peggy Notabart Nature Museum here in Chicago. We talked about cicadas. I just find this stuff fascinating. I never want to get to a point where I don't find a bug not fascinating to me. You know, we're not the only creatures on the planet. We just act like it most of the time, which rolled me right into Earth Matters with Bill Curtis, which I've played on this podcast at times. And I will probably continue to do so for the foreseeable future because a lot of what Bill and I worked on back in the early, like 2013, 14, 15, we were just a little bit ahead of our time at that point running these Earth Matters things. And so I was interspersing the Earth Matters throughout my three hour shift at WCPT. And we had a guy calling and going, these, these things, you know, change the way I think about the planet. So here's another friggin' example of we could have argued about is global warming real or not? Is climate change human induced or not? You can argue with this and it changes nothing. But we ran those spots, 300 of them for three years, and people listened to them and they changed their habits. There were people who changed their buying habits because I ran the one about the polyethylene beads in in uh, Lake Michigan and Lake Erie, actually the Great Lakes. And years ago, the story broke in the Tribune, a little tiny story I, I found uh, about polyethylene beads being found in Lake Erie and fish eating them. Polyethylene beads at the time were used in facial scrubs manufactured polyethylene, little tiny beads. They're clear little beads. And these beads, once you washed your face, would work their way through the water system and you know through all the, the, the various routes that uh, it takes to get out of the water. But they were so small that we'd get through the filters and end up in bajillions of the, And they're still there out in the Great Lakes. They don't belong there. Fish aren't supposed to be eating polyethylene because who then eats the fish? Exactly. So I read this, I created an Earth Matters with Bill Curtis about the polyethylene beads. Matter of fact, let's just listen to it real quick before I continue.
1: Earth Matters was among the very first to sound the alarm when it came to microbeads in the water supply. And now the ripple effect has begun. In April, I reported that polyethylene beads used in facial scrubs were being found in alarming numbers in the Great Lakes. The beads are used as an exfoliant of sorts, but they don't dissolve and fish are prone to think they are a food source. Not long after that broadcast, I was approached at an event by a woman who told me that episode of Earth Matters changed her buying habits when it came to facial scrubs. Now comes word from the governor of Illinois that it will be the first state in the union to ban plastic microbeads in personal care products, putting the health of the Great Lakes above the wealth of industry the ripple effect of information can lead to environmental transformation. I'm Bill Curtis, and Earth Matters.
0: Yes he is, and yes it does. So it didn't stop there though, which we didn't get to because by this time uh, the, the, the series had run its course, one of the last things that President Obama did before he left office was sign a national ban on polyethylene beads. So it started out as a story in a newspaper, We aired it, I don't know, 50, 80, 100 times over a certain period of time. People heard it. The first connection was actually uh, somebody from downstate, a state representative, reached out to me and said, I heard this thing with Bill Curtis, what's the deal? I told him about it and that was the last I thought of it. And then it eventually ended up on the governor's desk. And then from there it went all the way up to Washington, D.C. Now look, there were other people that sounded the alarm obviously. Whoever wrote that first Tribune article were beholding to them for doing that because I would not have seen it at that point but look what happens that's the exact ripple effect somebody finds out about it they report on it and then it goes from there and if you it could have ended there it didn't and we did our part and that was the whole idea is to do what you can where you are with what you have I made the point after I aired that last week here in Chicago that the ozone layer Well, let me just run this one because this will illustrate it even more. So you're getting two Earth Matters back to back.
1: We live in a biosphere, a self-contained system that keeps us safe from the sun through the veil of the ozone layer. Over the past few decades, a hole in that protective layer has been opening and closing at different times. And the result of this activity could be devastating. How did the hole get there? CFC chlorofluorocarbons, which are used in refrigeration, have been released into the atmosphere, sometimes taking one quarter of a century to reach the stratosphere, eating away at the ozone layer. CFCs have been banned, but the damage remains. For instance, CFCs released in 1988 are still around, and it will be years before they dissipate. Another man-made chemical that was never meant to be part of the ecosystem. The greener we get in our awareness, the quicker the healing that can come to the planet we all share. I'm Bill Curtis with Earth Matters.
0: When I wrote that, I was already obviously pretty aware of what's going on with ozone because uh, it was a big story in the 80s. And when the Montreal Protocol was finally signed by I think almost every major nation in the world, there's only a couple, like Iran and Iraq probably didn't sign it, I'm not really sure I shouldn't say that, but there was a couple that opted out but by and large cfc's were banned around the world why is that because they exactly what i wrote and what exactly bill said these these chemicals were never meant to be in our atmosphere they're not supposed to be they're man-made toxic chemicals they were made as a refrigerant and so air conditioners refrigerators you name it anything with refrigerant for decades cfc's chlorofluorocarbons try to say that early in the morning without coffee twice Uh, They would work their way up because they would lift up, uh, if they were being used, they would be emanated from these machines, and they would just sit up there and they started to disintegrate the very protective layer of this planet. There's only one. And so once that was discovered, uh, it went back and forth in a course, and and eventually it said this is what's happening. The United States was not on board right away because Ronald Reagan was in the White House, not an environmentalist in any way, shape, or form. Matter of fact, when Jimmy Carter was in the White House, he was the first president ever to put solar panels on the White House and the first thing Ronald Reagan did was take him out when he came into office. Can't have that. So all this was going on and, and Maggie Thatcher, the Iron Lady of Britain, finally had to call Ronnie and say, Ronnie, you need to get your head out of your ass. That's probably not how she sounded, but it sounds like that to me in my head early on a Saturday morning. And the reason she was able to approach him is because Ronald Reagan had gone through a couple bouts of skin cancer. And skin cancers were the number one thing that were going to be on the rise as the ozone depleted because more of the sun's rays were getting through. And this is, again, a ripple effect in the wrong direction. you got chemicals that don't belong there. And look, and I'm sure when they created these, no one ever thought, well, if we use these, they're going to eventually disintegrate the ozone layer. Of course not. But once the evidence was presented from the scientific community and people said, we don't want more skin cancers, which means people are going to be dying, we need to do something. That's an adult, grown-up decision. It's not a tug of war. It's a decision that needs to be made for the greater good. So they made the decision because Ronald Reagan had skin cancers and he was able to relate to it. And once you're able to relate to something, put it in your hip pocket as a problem, all of a sudden it becomes personal. And when problems become personal, people start to do things. So once Ronald Reagan got on board, all because of Maggie Thatcher. She was a scientist. She got it. She was able to go, well, here's the deal. And then Ronnie look like a hero because, well, I'm going to sign. And once he signed, well, we're all going to sign except for a couple countries that didn't. You'd never get that done now. We have more evidence of shit hitting the fan environmentally and you still have people going, well, we can't possibly be you know, doing anything of that. We live in a friggin biosphere. Everything that happens in here stays in here. As the great chief Seattle said, contaminate your bed, one night you will suffocate in your own waste. And that shows up in a lot of different ways. So you can already tell I'm getting ramped up about this stuff very early at zero dark 30 on a Saturday. Uh, You can imagine how I sounded about four o'clock last Thursday. I mean, this stuff just, you know, roasts my chicken and grinds my gears because it's all about human behavior and human consciousness and awareness. So I ran that through that whole show on and off. And this guy had called in and made these comments about how important those were. And, And he was correct in the fact that at the time they may have been a little bit before their time, but because they're what's known as evergreen in our business, no pun intended when it comes to environmental things, uh, the message remains the same. Now the ozone layer is opening and closing and it's healing because we took action. And we took you know, unified action. Again, uh, shit's hit the fan now and, and, and uh, we'll pay the price. We're already paying the price. It's, just like, it's like someone smoking to me. This is like the most easy analogy. I'll use my mom as an example. My mom was a one, sometimes a two-pack-a-day smoker. And she went for years thinking, not going to have any effect on me. Well, eventually, the, it was a cumulative effect. And anybody who runs into lung cancer or any cancer related to smoking, when they put a whole friggin' warning label on the side, warning, this stuff causes cancer. No, it doesn't. Light them up. It eventually caught up to her. I don't see any difference in that and saying, here's a warning label, look, we can't keep doing this shit to the planet because the planet will rebound, we'll pay the price. And we already are. And it's just going to increase. So it's interesting when I see people going, oh my God, these floods have never happened before. Or it's only once in 150 years. Or why is it getting so hot? Ah, hello, anybody home? Apparently not. So the few always do the work for the many. And what I mean by that is, doing these Earth Matters and bringing them back to the radio again, I'll be doing it again next Thursday for sure, is, is my way of at least plugging the hole where I, I'm at. I say that all the time. It's one of the tenants that Teddy Roosevelt, uh, my guy there from 100 and plus years ago, he would say, do what you can where you are with what you have. Be focused on that. Jane Goodall told me in a couple of interviews and conversations on and off the air, that her biggest concern is not what's happening in the environment. Her biggest concern is that nothing's happening inside of us and that apathy's taking over. So we sit back and watch all this shit on the news and go, What can I do about that? Well, you can't do anything about that, but you can do about something where you're at. I don't know what it is. For me and Bill, it's doing these Earth Matters spots and still airing them. And still, even this morning, I didn't plan on this rant about the environment. It's just where it's at for me. It's like drilling down, and here it is. This is what I can do. What can you do? Simple thing like just don't use bottled water. Forget it. All they do is go and let 7% of, of plastic bottles get recycled. 7%. 93% they're laid on the streets, they're in the oceans, they're in the landfill. You really need bottled water. When I was a kid, bottled water meant you cleaned out a Coke bottle and you filled it up from the tap. I'm still here. Most of the people I know drinking it. There's no warning label on it's going, you cannot drink tap water. It's safer than it's ever been in the history of humanity. And we still got to go to the store and get cases of it, which just keeps, you know, more crude oil being pumped to make these bottles. It's a ripple effect one way or the other. Wow. Now I'm tired. Hang on. I need a little cup of coffee here. This brings me to the last few minutes of the show. Uh, Jimmy Buffett passed away, sadly, on, uh, September 1st, surrounded by family, friends, music, his dogs, and I'm sure the sounds of the ocean. And a huge Buffett fan. Not as much for his music, which was really, really good. I really, really enjoyed it. I'm going to drop the needle on my favorite song here in a minute. But because of what I was just talking about prior to this, his stance on ocean uh, stewardship was second to none. And this is a guy who readily admits that he really wasn't a great singer, really not a great guitar player. He was a fantastic entrepreneur. I mean, $500 million empire the guy built out of basically two songs. And all his parrot heads that would go to the concerts. And he just wanted to feel alive. And his main tenet was we are connected inextricably to the ocean. It's what what we're drawn to because it's so much a part of us. 75% of the water in my body is salt water. Not unlike the planet. So Jimmy Buffett, A troubadour for the water, in my opinion. Just an incredible human being when it came to that. So much what he gave of his time, energy, and resources for ocean health is second to none. And his loss will be felt in a big, big way. And I started reading about his life a little bit. You know, I mean, this is a guy who had 50 years in the music business, 50 years. He had one number one hit. Of course, you all know it's Margaritaville, 1977. That's it. That was his second big hit. Not his first. Like a lot of people think, wow, that's, of course, that's the song he's probably most known for. But with 50 years in the business, you have really basically one, maybe two hits. That is a very rare thing. But he was a a concert machine. And he basically represented the saltwater lifestyle. Loved the guy. And he didn't just talk about it, he lived it. And I think that's the thing that runs through a lot of his songs is you gotta live in the moment. You gotta live it the best way you can until you're not here. And I have such respect for his place in music, and as I said, most especially you know, for the work he did on behalf of uh, ocean stewardship and those type of things. So one of his best quotes to me, and, and I'm sure you know, in his, his mind and heart and spirit that this has hopefully come uh, forward for him in his time of, of passing, if there's a heaven for me, I'm sure it has a beach attached." <laughs> Jimmy Buffett was 76 years young, and uh, I want to leave you with this song. This is my favorite song, and in some way, shape, or form, it's a little fitting because it talks about Labor Day, which is coming up on Monday. So uh, that's enough of my ranting. Boy, I don't know why I got it's got major goosebumps. Thanks, Jimmy. Oof. Huh. Interesting. Um, Labor Day coming up on Monday. Enjoy it. Be safe. Uh, We're getting ready to go into the uh, the last quarter of the year and um, all that that brings. So enjoy the weather. It's going to be hot here in Chicago. And if you get a chance, go dip your toes in the water somewhere in remembrance of Jimmy Buffett. Until next time, be well. Safe travels. Keep the faith.
2: Heading up to San Francisco for the Labor Day weekend show. I got my hush puppies on. I guess I never was meant for glitter rock and roll. And honey, I didn't know that I'd be missing you so come Monday. It'll be alright. Come Monday I'll be holding you tight I spent four lonely days in a brown hilly haze And I just want you back by my side Yes, it's been quite a summer Rent of cars and westbound trains And now you're off on vacation Something try to explain And darling, it's I look so That's the reason I just let you go Come Monday, it'll be alright Come Monday, I'll be holding you tight I spent four lonely days in a brown L.A. haze And I just want you back by my side Ain't help it, honey You're that much a part of me now Remember that night in Montana When we said there'd be no room I know that it's pretty up there We can go hiking on Tuesday With you I'd walk anywhere California has worn me quite thin I just can't wait to see you again Come Monday, it'll be alright Come Monday, I'll be holding want you back my-